following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Welcome to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is R.J. Bell. College basketball dream preview. Week of January 31st edition. With my Wise Guy 101 with Brad Powers. I'm R.J. Bell. And we've got... College basketball specialist Dave Esler with some pre-recorded insight that we're going to be interspersing throughout the discussion. And what a interesting discussion for college basketball fans, overrated teams, underrated teams. We'll talk in Kentucky and how they surprised last week. Didn't surprise everybody. Virginia, what was the reaction in Vegas to their upset? Not that big of an upset, but many surprised by the win over Duke. Then we'll look at Saturday's two biggest games. We've got a bonus future best bet from Dave Esler and Wednesday free pick from Brad Powers, Wednesday free pick from Dave Esler and a double bonus Brad Powers with some Super Bowl insights a little bit early. And then tomorrow on Thursday, we release the extravaganza Super Bowl edition. All right, Brad, let's get straight to it. I want your overrated team. Now, what does that mean? It means the market thinks they're better than they are. Doesn't mean we're going to fade them every game. It means that's going to be the starting point, though, of the handicap with these teams. Overrated team. Texas Tech, a team that is currently ranked number 10 in the AP poll. And we love the AP. We are the official odds provider of the AP. But in my rankings, as far as my Vegas rankings, and I post them each and every week, number one through 351 in pregame.com, the forums there, I only have number 22. So a difference of 12 spots there. And here's where I think they're overrated. Here's a team that really benefited from a soft non-conference schedule. In fact, ranked number 312th in the country out of those 351 teams. They started red hot. They're 14-1. Huge, big win to start conference play on the road at Kansas. Well, since then, they're 1-5 and five against the spread. And what makes them overrated, especially this time of year, leading into March, is a lot of times you need a team that you need that couple of go-to scores. And what happens is Texas Tech is very unbalanced. They have a great go-to guy in Keenan Evans, who's averaging 18 points per game. When he's on, they're great. He's been on the last couple of games. They won him. But in this one in five ATS run, he's also had a couple of games where he's been off and Texas Tech has become vastly, vastly overrated. Texas Tech overrated team. Now, this seems like a perfect storm to be overrated. We've talked about how disparate the out-of-conference schedules can be disparate as in some much tougher, some much easier than others. But really, most even batters come February aren't watching college basketball over Thanksgiving weekend. <laughs> right? So what they do is they look at the record. Now, if you've got a good record and then you add in a signature win, you know, Kansas City in the NFL, I thought was a team that benefited for a long time during their midseason swoon from that signature win over the Patriots. So talk a little about that signature win, because in a way, 
you've got to give them credit. If, if a win signature, usually it's a sign that they did something special. I don't know if it's so special this year because we talked about it on last week's podcast. Another team, very similar, Arizona State, got a signature win at a relatively blue blood school, Kansas. And Kansas just isn't the top five team that they've been in past years. So they got credit because of the name brand of Kansas, but probably shouldn't have because Kansas just isn't themselves this year. Uh, look, I upgraded them in my power rings. They're, they're a surprise. They're a great defensive team, but a lot of people took notice of that win against Kansas. And again, since then, one and five against the number. And what I've seen specifically is if you have great guard play and can really get in the face of Evans like a Texas did, like a Iowa State did against him, and you can shut him down, they have no one else to go to. So I would be looking to play against Texas Tech specifically and coming up on a matchup that they got coming up on Wednesday on this podcast. They're playing Texas, a team that really gets in your face, full court pressure. I lean towards Texas in that matchup. We'll be fading Texas Tech even on Wednesday night. And we're taping Tuesday night. What's the early number on that game? Texas Tech's favored by seven and a half at home. Okay. So, huh. Here's the thing. When I look at the NFL, which is my specialty, and a team is one and five, ATS, the last six, what does that mean? It means they've covered one of the six, right? One and five. But it also means they've fallen short of expectation. It also means people's lost money on them. And I tend, if you just told me there's a five and one team, last six and a one and five team, make a bet. You got one second. I'm going with the one and five. My feeling is in college basketball, opinions change more slowly and thus streaks like last 15. If a team's 14 and one or one and 14 or, you know, more likely, let's say 12 and three or three and 12. I think you probably would rather go with the three and 12. People are going to be convinced over 15 games, but over four, five, six games, would you say that the um, changes in pricing? So, Upgrading or downgrading teams off of good or bad streaks happens more slowly. Thus, you can be more of a momentum player where if a team's cover three straight, you can jump on them before they get overpriced. Where in the NFL, that's hard to do. Yeah, I think that's a great point. It is more slow to adjust. Number one reason, 351 teams, the market just doesn't have vast information. It's not like the NFL where everyone saw that poor performance or great performance and automatically they're overrated or underrated. I mean, in a, in a college basketball weeknight, sometimes there's upwards of 50 to 60 games. So a lot of times you don't see that poor performance. And uh, another reason why it's slower to adjust, I just think the time period that we're in, just now the public is fully getting involved in college basketball on a week to week basis or even a nightly basis now as the Super Bowl begins to wrap up. So I do think it's much slower to, to adjust. And I think you, this is the one sport where I personally probably ride more streaks than, than I do in any other sport. And we will be talking about this throughout the run up to March Madness is the more the public gets involved, the more the public has a say in the line and it becomes about those biases. They like to bet overs. They like to bet the blue blood teams, the high rank team. So I think being more contrarian as we move into February, you know, post Super Bowl and then especially in March is the better way. I think in November and December, it's more about not fading the bias of the public. It's more about knowing things the market doesn't know. Absolutely. And I'll go way off the board. Uh, a team that was very valuable in November and December, 
Northern Colorado. Here's a team that did not get adjusted for months into their schedule. Team had four starters suspended last year. All four decided to come back this year. And they had four returning starters on top of that. So that's the type of information you can take advantage of in the months of November and December. Market's very slow to adjust. Where And I want to bring this up because you mentioned Super Bowl. Very important weekend here. Uh, there's going to be a lot of the popular teams in college basketball get extra action on Saturday and Sunday with all those people come flying into town. Now, they're not going to be betting the Toledos or the Akrons of the world on the weekend, but your premier teams, the Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, expect to pay a premium if you want to back those teams this weekend. Yeah, very good point. That That is good. That's Brad Powers on Twitter, Brad Powers 7. All one word, Brad Powers 7. It's mysterious why he said 7, <laughs> but he did. And that point, I think, is a great one, which is, hey, we talk about how public the market is for a given game on a given day. Well, on the Saturday before the Super Bowl, if you're in Vegas and you're thinking, huh, what am I going to do? You glance up, Duke's playing, North Carolina's playing, and we'll be talking about the two premier Saturday games given an early preview here in a little bit. Now, Dave Esler. Overrated Houston is uh, on a lot of people's bubbles list, and that will get you some points uh, in the line, and, and I just don't see it. Uh, they're in a terrible conference, had a terrible non-conference schedule, and uh, if they don't beat Cincinnati tomorrow night, they're going to fall off the face of the map. Yeah, that Cincy game goes Wednesday, and uh, pods release Wednesday. We're taping end of day Tuesday. There was one win from Houston that I think a lot of the Houston supporters are hanging their hats on. That wasn't convincing to you, Dave? Well, beating Wichita State? Yeah, I would. I mean, that would seem to be their big win. Well, I right? would agree with that, but they got completely blown out uh, at Wichita State earlier. So, you know, there's some familiarity the second time around. Yeah, I mean, you can't take that away from them, but I don't think one win like that with their, with their strength of schedule gets them any points in my book. Okay, Brad, so... Dave Esler, pregame pro specialist in college basketball, says Houston overrated. Agree, disagree. Agree. And it's funny, he brings up Houston because each and every Friday I post the power rings and the 351 teams. And I got specifically asked that I had Houston way too low by, by someone on Twitter. So, so, so low was in their number was higher. Yeah, my number, I had them number 46 in my power ratings. They thought they were a top 25 team. And I thought public perception was, hey, they could blow out Wichita State. This is a great team. I agree with Dave. A team didn't play a very non, a strong non-conference schedule, ranked like number 200 in the country. Defensively, they're good. Offensively, they don't have a lot of go-to scores. And I think they're overpriced in the marketplace coming off that win against Wichita State. So I fully agree. Overrated Houston. Now, we did overrated. Guess what's next? Underrated. So you guys are getting sharper <laughs> and sharper underrated Brad number one team. And this is the same theory is the team you're looking to play on. Yeah. It's Creighton, a team that's actually not ranked in the AP top 25 poll this week. They're in their receipt, other receiving votes. So they're number 30. I have a number 17 in my power ranks. And I think the big mispricing for Creighton and why I think they're underrated is I thought there was an overreaction. They lost their third leading score and leading rebounder about three games ago. They really struggled in the first game without them. And I'm not saying his name because he's from Slovenia. I do not want to butcher it here. But his first name is Martin. We'll put it that way. Hey, hey listen, knowing what you can't do, yes. it gets you way ahead of the game. 
Yeah, but since that first road loss where they struggled against Providence, they've rebounded nicely, back-to-back wins for them. And what I like is they take care of business. 16 times as a favorite, won all 16, covered 12 of the 16 games. So when, they have, when they're laying in against a team, and it really hasn't mattered, they've actually covered point spreads in the 20s. They take care of business. There's a focus level here. Here's where I might am maybe not inclined to play on them. They do have a ceiling, and it comes up against the elite teams in that conference, whether it's Xavier or Villanova. They have not performed very well against them, but everyone else, they're not afraid to step on the throats. And I think now that it's four or five games removed from that injury, I think they're a little underrated in the market, Creighton. Yeah, you think about it, it makes a ton of sense. Is even, let's say, semi-serious college basketball batters aren't going to know Creighton's, uh, you know, how important this one player is, right? Unless he's really important. And then you glance, so he's back. And then it's like, well, is he a hundred percent? Has he been integrated back in that offense or, or back into the team? So the idea of saying, okay, those results are somewhat deceiving, but the market is taking them at face value. I mean, that really at the core is what we try to do in all sports is, when are when do people have either ignorance where they're uninformed or when do they have the wrong impressions? And I think another key point to, to factor in here, I think the sharper guys are thinking, saw Creighton last year deal with a significant injury and they fell off the face of the earth. Here's a team that was ranked in the top 10 last year. They lost their starting point guard and became a very average team. And I think there was an overreaction. Boy, one player meant that much to Creighton last year. Losing another key guy this year, maybe they fall off the face of the earth. I haven't seen it so far. You know, it's funny. I've had this sound effect I've wanted to use. It's from the movie Back to School, one of my favorites. (laughs) And it's when Mellon, right, which was Ronnie Dangerfield, was going to do a very difficult dive. And I always like, if you would have had the guts to say that fellow's name, (laughs) <laughs> you would have gotten this, but now you're getting it anyway, but you're not getting it really. I'm saying I'm actually showing you what you're not getting because you didn't Oh, because <laughs> I got excited there and dropped my drink. I'm going to show you what you're not getting because you didn't do it. There will be an additional springboard installed for Melon's Dive. Uh, no, you didn't need an yeah. extra spring. Well, you just said, uh, I think his first name's Fred. Yeah, that's Martin. Martin. <laughs> Crampel. Oh, no, don't yeah, try. Oh, yeah. whoa. You, you avoided yeah. it. You, you, you took the heat for not yeah. doing it. Yeah. All right. Last question. We'll go to Esler's underrated is you talked about the times you're not inclined to play them. And I love this with these overrated, underrated. What are the times you're especially inclined to play Creighton? Well, a lot of times when they're laying a short number, and we've seen it here in the past, uh, St. John's team, they just played the other night, laying a short number, a terrible St. John's team. Creighton, again, not afraid to step on the next one and cover that game. So anytime in a short favorite role, I'm looking for Creighton. Again, I'll emphasize this. As a favorite this year, 16-0 and straight up. So you're giving me anything less than five buckets. I'm taking a team that knows how to win when they're favored. Not taking them blindly, but you're, blindly. you're leaning that way strong. Absolutely. Now, Mr. Esler. Mr. Dame, uh, there's a team that uh, lost Wells, lost Farrell. Uh, they may get Wells back, but you know, even though they've lost six straight, 
Uh, they're going to be favored in seven of their last 10. I, they get Farrell back, I think, this weekend, and they're still playing for something. And you know, Notre Dame teams always do. Bray's a great coach, and uh, I think that they'll be underrated going forward. I think this weekend they got to play at NC State, and they will have had plenty of time off. Uh, they win that one. They could win eight of their last 10. With that knowledge and knowing they could get Colson back, knowing they can still get into the dance. I think they're going to be underrated going forward and I'll be looking to play on them in certain spots. Okay. So it sounds like you're high on Notre Dame in two different ways. One way is as a long shot to, or at least let's say their chances to make the tournament are probably underrated. And that is one way a team can be underrated. Another is game by game. Obviously each game has its own specifics, but game by game, is a team is just undervalued, let's say. Do you believe that because of the extra, is it the extra motivation that Notre Dame has because they do feel like they're still competitive for the big dance? That is the driver of them being undervalued well, on a game-by-game -game basis? That's totally the driver of them being valued. I mean, this is the time of year teams uh, sort of either go big or go home. Uh, and, and Notre Dame's still playing. I mean, they they, they only lost by Virginia to, to VTech by by a handful, they, they play Clemson tough. They almost beat Louisville, and that's with all those injuries. You know, they, they have to feel good about themselves or as good as a team that's lost six straight can. When I bet on someone, I want a team that's going to be playing 110%, and, and they are. You've got to... Okay. Dave Eschler believes Notre Dame is underrated. Agree, disagree? Fully agree. Not right now, though, until the injury... Well, hold on a second. Yeah. So you disagree now. <laughs> Disagree right now, like I'm talking maybe the next game. Okay. Fully agree that they're probably the most underrated team in the country probably two weeks from now as they get some of these starters back. Uh, Bonzi Colson, to put in perspective, was the ACC preseason player of the year that's been out most of the season for them. They lose also their starting point guard, who's an all-ACC caliber player. They just lost a third starter in a recent game. Dave's right. Uh, if you look at Ken Palm, does a lot, and I, this is Ken Pomeroy, the, the ratings that pretty much factor in, uh, I think the most significant in the college basketball betting markets, he has a category luck. And basically it's close wins, close losses. How many games did you win close? How many games did you win very closely? And did you lose? Notre Dame is the bottom 10 in the country out of 351 teams. So not only have they lost these starters and their two best players, they've also still stayed within the number with the exception of the Duke game on Monday night where they lost by 20, all of their losses have been close. I will love and be on Notre Dame here in a few weeks as they get these returning players. A lot of stuff to talk about here. So let's talk about that luck concept for a second. Cause in the NFL, I always talk about between seasons. If you simply say, all right, find the teams that's been inordinately good or bad in close games, one score games, put those in a category, find the teams that were, inordinately good or bad in turnovers. That's probably two of the best ways to find teams that are going to regress uh, either um, from being very good to not as good or uh, improving from being, you know, bad to better. If all I did was bet the top on the top five, I guess it'd be the bottom five luck. So the five unluckiest teams figuring most people are fixated on their scoreboard on their standings and not the fact that they just lost a bunch of close games. If anything, some people are like, Oh, that team can't win close games. So they actually penalize them even more when in truth, there's a, a huge element of luck in close games. If all I did was say, all right, I'm going to take the bottom five 
the unlucky teams bet on them and the top five and bet against them. How do I do over, uh, over, let's say from January one through the end of the season? I would say, you know, 55%, but, but let well, me hold on now. That's yeah, a big maybe, number. Yeah, is. Cause that, that's what the pros do. Yeah. So you could just retire. You could just, yeah. you could just uh, go to more movies, more dates, more nights drinking. If you can hit 55 that way. But, what you're, what I'm hearing you say is you think you have an edge, uh, you know, over a coin flip. Yes. And let me factor it down to 53% because I'm actually going to make a negative comment about it. I, I don't think it's as, you know, quote unquote lucky as football. And here's why. I think a lot of times teams can be unlucky in basketball, lose a, cl- a lot of close games because they don't have a guy when the game's on the line that they can go to specifically this Notre Dame team. Why have they been unlucky? Well, in a close game, Who's their two best players? They're sitting on the bench. They got freshmen and sophomores that aren't willing. And really, you can't rely on them to make the close shot. And they can't handle the pressure in, in closeout games. I tell you, I am going to give. I'm going to explain why. Because it was kind of buried <laughs> in there. But think about what he's saying. He's saying that Ken Palm has all the math. And great mathematician, great advanced analytics guy. Obviously, he's gained a ton of respect from the college basketball betting community. But what you're saying is, you know, we're assuming it's luck, but some element is luck of winning and losing close games, but some's not. And you identified a key that can make a team either good in close games or, or not good, which is that Michael Jordan being the platonic ideal of a crunch time score games on the line, give the ball to worthy. Oh, that's what (laughs) we had a guy. You know, we were like 16 or 17 and he was like 30 and he always used to have like keggers and, and he had like, this is the mid eighties. He had like 3000 albums. And when the CDs came out, people, Hey, he was like, I hate those CDs. The album's <laughs> like, what's the matter with you? But now he was ahead of his time. Right. Cause now the serious music fans, a lot of them love the vinyl. And at the time it didn't seem all that weird that, we were hanging out in his basement, right? He had like the, the camouflage pants on and he was the biggest stones fan. I mean, he would, (laughs) I remember one party he used to take his, he drank tequila, right? He'd take off, he'd have a fifth. He'd take off the cap and throw it away when the night started. Like this baby's going to get finished. So why would I need a cap for this fifth, fifth of tequila? So, <laughs> and one time he was about three quarters of the way through that tequila at a party and he loved the stones and he loved the song one hit to the body and by the stones, great song, but there was an extended version that was rare, but he had the, ext- you know, the extended version, no. you're nodding. All right. I'm just nodding to the story. <laughs> and he had the extended version that Jimmy page actually played on. And it was like, you know, two thirties, you know, almost done with his tequila and he quiets everyone down, turns the lights down, puts on his leather jacket, his Mick leather jacket, puts on the extended version of one hit. He's up on the coffee table, like with his head bowed down and his arms above his head as the songs like ramping up. But I guess in hindsight, we shouldn't have been in his basement at 15. No, no. So here's the thing. He was a huge Lakers fan. So remember, this would have been right in the middle of the Celtics Lakers and we'd be in his basement watching 
And again, for us, it was like we could drink down there and, you know, the uh, statute of limitations is up. But where I grew up, we started drinking when we were like 13, right? So it just was what it was. So you could drink down there and, you know, feel safe, right? You weren't running from the cops or your parents. So he'd be there in his Lakers jersey or in his uh, literally the jersey, right? With the with the straps, no T-shirt underneath. You think he would at least went Patrick Ewing style, right? No. And he'd get all messed up. And when the game was on the line, he'd, he'd always say, get the ball to Worthy. That was the only thing. They always wanted to get the ball to Worthy. So, so Jordan, I think, would be the ideal. But Worthy, perhaps. But what you identified was if you have one of those excellent, excellent late game guys, then if you're better, if you seem lucky, maybe it's not luck. And if you don't have one of those excellent late game guys and you're unlucky, maybe it's not being unlucky. So I love it. But, but imagine now, imagine you have one of those late guys, late game guys, but you actually are still on the unlucky list. That means you probably have been particularly unlucky, or I guess you'd have to examine. Is it real? Is that good? Really good. Is that guy really that good late? So you've taken a factor that really matters. And I think the analogy would be like in turnovers. If a team is really good or really bad in turnovers, what's in in the NFL, what's the one thing that you can control, which is uh, somewhat, or let's say more than most is throwing interceptions. So when a team like the Patriots is got a good plus number on turnover margin, you don't think it's all luck. You account for, Hey, Brady's not thrown as many turnovers. Great feedback, Brad powers. Good stuff right now. Let's continue with your point you made about Esler and his underrated team is I think his point about being, yeah, when the player comes back, the injured player, it's probably going to be more of a boost than the market thinks. But his other point was the fact they know he's coming back. The fact that they know that when he comes back, they have a chance to make the tournament will keep them motivated even before he comes back. Do you give some element to that? I do, but with every loss, and it's been six straight now, their chances of making the tournament are pretty slim to none. It's getting to the point where... So, so you think right now it's slim to none for Notre Dame? Well, I mean, they're going to have to run out. Because that's, that's going at a very basic level against... Now, obviously, you can win your tournament. Yes. But that's going at a very basic level against Dave saying, hey, what's kept them... You know, what he thinks is keeping their eye on the ball at this point is the sense he their guy comes back and they can go on a run and still make it. I agree, but now you're getting to the point where, and Dave mentioned it in his comments, like I went eight out of 10, and you're talking about the but, best But if conference. anything, that helps keep you focused, it, is it, you can't lose. Like the Falcons at the end of the year, I, I think teams in general that feel like they can make it, you know, remember, I mean, the classic example, the Packers, not this year, but last year. When, you know, they needed to win, what, six in a row? And Rodgers like, we're going to win six out. They knew they had no margin for error. Doesn't that help or doesn't that add to the focus of a team? It, it does, but I'm going to use the Packers from this year. And here's my worry is say that they're, they're going to get Matt Farrell back before Bonzi Colson. Say Matt Farrell comes back and they lose that first game or two. And then they're pretty much out of the tournament unless they, you know, win every single game or win the conference tournament. So I think... The Packers this year, they're getting to that point where they just lose one game when guy comes back. Okay, they so, might be out so of it. 
so they they're going to be focused till they do, and then it feels like Notre Dame might hit a dream crusher stretch where they know they can't get an at large, so they're going to be a little flat until the tournament. Yes. Okay, so we might have a chance to play on them now, especially when the guy comes back on Notre Dame, and then if they lose, let's say two or three, because I mean you never know. Even if the odds are, you know, 33%, let's say, if they go 7-3, and three, they still are going to try to go 7-3. and three. But somehow if they lose that fourth game, now it might be a dream crusher till the tournament. Yes. In, in the conference tournament. Yeah. And I'll say it's actually been mentioned by their head coach, Mike Bray, at halftime of the Duke game on Monday night. He was very upbeat and confident even when they're down by eight. Hey, we're still, we're still believing in our team here. I still love my team. Now, the problem was... They ended up, I saw a spot there where there wasn't necessarily quit, but there was a point there where they were completely overwhelmed against Duke. And I'm wondering moving forward, have they finally hit that spot where, hey, we're just not that good right now? That's Brad Powers, RJ Bell, pregame.com, the dream preview college basketball edition starting next week, next Wednesday a.m. with its release. The Fez, Steve Fezzik, he has a mansion, he has a yacht, and he'll be here every Tuesday to tape, Wednesday to release with college basketball. He'll add, he's going to be the, the spice in college basketball. Those, those shake here and shake there, but he's going to be the meat in the NBA. And so we'll be talking both NBA and college basketball starting next week. Now, Mr. Ashler has a little uh, equity, I think with us after his prediction of Kentucky being underrated a week ago. What have you seen from Kentucky since? And let's re let's regauge where they are with their perception versus market. Yeah. And they've covered two games since Dave's uh, podcast and said they're underrated. They got a nice win at home against Mississippi state. And then the big performance Saturday night on the road in West Virginia, top 10 team, a top five venue in all of college basketball in terms of difficulty to play in. And what happens is a young Kentucky team overwhelmed at the start. They're turning the ball over. They're facing that press Virginia and you know, they're down 15 at halftime. And then all of a sudden the light bulb comes on in the second half. Here's so what was the spread in that game? 10. So, so you're a 10 point dog down by 20 or 15 and a half. Yeah. I mean, it's time to, to close and you're dealing with their top six players are all freshmen. I mean, it's Katie bar the door, turn out the lights. The party's over. <laughs> what? That is old school. Katie bar the door. Where'd you get that from? My dad used to call. Oh, the that's time. an old school one. <laughs> and what happens was I, the light bulb all of a sudden unexpectedly just turns on for him. They played like a senior lane team, 18 from 18 from the free throw line in the second half with all that noise, a team, they cut their turnovers in half in the second half. And maybe it's time that Kentucky with not only light bulb coming on, but maybe this is not a, you know, just a underrated team. Maybe this is a team capable of making a final four run. I think a win like that can totally galvanize and save their entire season. And was it something where they got, I mean, 18 for 18 is fluky. Did it feel fluky to you? No, it did. It didn't. It's not like, uh, and they're not one of the best free throw shooting teams and they're not even a great shooting team to begin with. They just handled the pressure exceptionally well. And I just saw a team that, you know, all of a sudden got, was not very confident whatsoever, got very confident in a quick, quick, fast and heartbeat. In a few minutes, we're going to look at Saturday's two biggest games. We're going to have a future bonus pick from Dave Esler. This is at 50 to one, two Wednesday free picks and Super Bowl thoughts from Brad. First though, Virginia 
talk of college basketball. We do this on our Fox national radio show. Straight out of Vegas, Fridays at 11 p.m. to midnight. Saturday starts an hour earlier, 10 to midnight. That's right, Colin. And that's something that on there we talk about misleading finals and and faulty finals and impress you know it's all about impression versus reality so the impression is oh my omg virginia beat duke wow look at their record i didn't know the record was that good this team must be one of the best teams what's the reality uh probably a little bit somewhere in the middle here's a team that just last week was 25 to 1 to win the title and now they're eight to one. Now they're one of the favorites. So they went from a team that probably had the 12th or 15th now, did best you think, odds. Did you at the time, not now, think there was value in Virginia at that point? I, I bet it at 25 to one. I was at the Westgate getting ready to bet Super Bowl props and just happened to look at the sheet and saw college basketball. I said, why? Virginia 25 to one. I thought they had a shot at winning a Duke. If they win at Duke, their odds are going to get cut probably in half from the marketplace. And that's why I perceive there to be value on a team that's probably going to be locked into a number one seat at this point. Okay, so why aren't they? If you say somewhere in the middle, it means they're not that good. Well, I, there's been a ceiling for this particular uh, team the last five years. Hold on, this team. You know, this reminds me <laughs> of the old, the old Mike Tomlin. And listen, I feel ambivalent about the Steelers, but I, I, I've got a lot of history with them. But I remember one of, I thought, Tomlin's great moments on the public side, right? I'm not in the locker room, but one of the great moments on the public side was after they won in 2008 against Arizona, they played the opening Thursday game. They interviewed him before. They go, are you going to be able to defend? He goes, no, this is a different team. We really respect what the 2018 did, but we're the 2009 team. Now, to me, just that. The, the semantics of saying the 2018, well, that's not us. That was that team, which makes sense, right? Because some players are new. Some players weren't on that team. And as Francis Coppola said in Apocalypse Now, you cannot, or as his movie depicted, you cannot step into the same river twice. Think about that, Brad. Wow. You got it? Yeah. All right. So this isn't Virginia. This is the 2017-18 Virginia team. So let's talk, though, and I think it's valid about their coach, their style of play. And then the question is, what's different about this team? Well, it's a very unique style of play. I mean, they really, how would you characterize it? Well, I mean, in the last five years, they're the best defensive team in college basketball. Very slow. I mean, they're the only team in college basketball. Consistently, you see 60 to 45 finals. Uh, they have. So is it the pace of the game or is it the effectiveness of the defense? effectiveness of the defense. Now, here's where I'll say where this year's team is actually a better version of the past couple editions. Their defense, and it's always been strong. It's always been top five in the country. But this year's defense in a Ken Palm advanced stack uh, on the defense side of the ball, best defense as far as efficiency in the last 17 years since he's been doing the ratings. And superior, like by, by several points per possession, better than the second place team. Now, why would a great defensive team struggle to win the tournament? Well, I mean, and I already mentioned this earlier, March is the time of year where you need some uh, go-to guy. I mean, it's the, where you got a Kemba Walker for Connecticut. Did you put it on, on his shoulders and he wins you the tournament? I mean, Christian Leitner for those years at Duke. Now, but, would a, let's agree that that, that Jordan-esque go-to guy is very important in the tournament. But why would playing great defense preclude you from having a guy like that? 
Well, I think a lot of teams step up their level of play defensively where every possession matters. Oh, now this is a whole now. Now this is a different point and maybe there's two separate ones here. So let's stick with the defensive one and step aside the old Spurs, Atlanta Hawks idea that some teams during the regular season play consistently good or hard. Maybe is the better way to say it. thus their record is better than let's say a Cleveland Cavs team where they've got more of a ceiling, more ability to go into other gears. And thus what, what, what is an indictment during the regular season, which is they don't have those other gears is potential in the postseason. Now we can discuss, Hey, a lot of teams where they slack during the regular season is defense, but come a sweet 16 game, they're going to play hard. That's what differentiates Virginia that hard play is no longer a differentiator. So is Virginia's performance on defense is a significant portion of it effort? I think a lot of it's effort and the way they're taught. And you just don't see a lot, a handful of teams in college basketball that give an all-out effort 40 minutes a game. It, it goes back to maybe the Arkansas teams in the 90s, the old you know, 94 feet of hell type of teams that they had there. Uh, looking at Virginia. Was it 94 feet or 48 minutes? Well, it could have been 48 minutes because 40 minutes. I don't oh, know or 40 minutes. 40 minutes. Maybe it was 40 minutes. Yeah, I think it was. All right. 40 minutes of how? Yes. Nolan oh, Richardson. I tell you, for the old school or those that appreciate UNLV's teams with the Tark, or if you've heard about them, but you haven't really seen them, you know, even in highlights. Go search for Arkansas UNLV, their undefeated year. They went to Arkansas in the middle of the year, right? In the 40 minutes of how I think it was. And they were down, I think, six at halftime. And this was a team that won the title last year and were undefeated this year. Remember in the title game, they beat Duke by like 35. Yep. And remember the Tark was running wild, no pun intended. Even what, I think they made the final four 76 maybe. And then... You know, a few, I think a few times in the 80s, but it was, this was like the culmination of all that, right? They were always the interesting team from out West that, that got beat at some point, but now they're the champions. And the thing that the Tark used to do, he had the amoeba defense, and it was this type of zone that his athletes were so good that it was effective, but they could rest in the amoeba. It wasn't hardcore effort. And then when they needed it, they went full court. And these were men, boy. And, you know, think about Larry Johnson. And yep. I was a big Stacey Augman guy. And I was back in Ohio. And it was the midnight games always. Like, I mean, almost every every uh, time they played, it'd be on that midnight ESPN. And the Tark, man, they'd be laying like 28 on the road. <laughs> but when that when that press came out, forget, forget about it. Well, they started pressing in the second half down six. And it was like a 20 to four run to start against like probably, you know, one of the top five teams in the country in their, in their home crowd rocking. CBS was there. If I remember, and they have the whole game on YouTube. Have you seen that game? I have not seen you that have game. a little homework, Brad. All right. Little generation gap there. Well, all right. All right. So what you're telling me is Virginia is the kind of team that is going to be super consistent during the regular season, but don't, they don't have another gear in the postseason. I yeah, and how how much of a gear can you have when you're already the best defense in the last twenty years? I think the problem is on the other side of the ball, when everyone else steps up their gear on the defensive side of the ball, Virginia's limitations on the offense really start to show. 
I tell you, I got to give it to you. Check out the big brain on Brad. Off the top of your head, is there a team or two or three that you also think puts in massive effort and is going to overperform in the regular season and underperform postseason? Well, I, until they won the championship two years ago, Villanova was a classic example. Constantly 30 and two, 30 and three, just couldn't get over the hump. Uh, Purdue might be. But, that. but were, were they good in the regular season because of effort? Or were they, was it, because there is a certain randomness to the postseason. Yep. Right. So I'm looking specifically for teams that meet that Spurs model where, hey, the Spurs can win it, but the Spurs are going to be, have a good record, you know, when they have good players every year under pop. And some years they're going to win the title, some years they're not. Then you've got teams like LeBron's teams recently, I think, a good bit where they're, they're resting, they're cruising at many points during the regular season. Any other teams in college basketball that never cruise? Uh, Notre Dame, a very consistent Big East ACC until they made their back-to-back Elite Eight. I mean, they only had one Sweet 16 appearance. And here's a team that won like five Big East regular season crowns. Uh, they were a team that just didn't have that extra gear, didn't have that top 10 player nationally. And is that was that the coach for Notre Dame? Mike Bray, to me, is probably the best coach in college basketball that doesn't get respect in the markets like an Izzo, a Krzyzewski, a Roy Williams. Where would you, if it was just uh, rate best coaches, where where is he? Oh, I would say five. I, I, and, my, and there's a lot of people that think he might be the best in college basketball. All right. Last thing about this topic and we're talking Virginia, is you mentioned, okay, postseason's the time you need a late-game score, and obviously the whole luck factor with if you have a late-game score. Virginia lacks that. They, they've done in the past. Now, they're a little bit better offensively this year, and that's why— But are we talking off how good they are offensively or having a late-game Jordan-esque score? They don't have it, and that's the concern. If they're off, I mean, if they're having off-night shooting, they're playing another good defense in themselves, and they don't have that go-to score, unlike their opponent— that's why they've been taken. That's why they haven't made the final four here in the last five years. All right. Shifting gears. And this is where the interest goes up. The stakes go up. We're talking Saturday's two premier games. No ranked versus ranked as of right now. Or I guess the polls are going to stay the same, but you pick two games that are mighty juicy. Let's go with the first one. Yeah, and it's the Red River rivalry. Obviously, a great rivalry game in football, but it has a lot of intrigue this year. Oklahoma at Texas, and I'm going to lean with Texas here for two main reasons. Texas, elite defensively, top five defense in the country. Oklahoma, average on defense. But here's where I think there's value, specifically because it's Super Bowl weekend. So, what do you what do you project the line to be? Uh, Oklahoma is going to be favored probably by one. It'll be close to a pick'em type of game. And here's where the value is going to be. Who's the, the most nationally known player in college basketball this year? Trey Young, Oklahoma's fantastic guard, leading the nation in scoring, leading the nation in assists per game. What's happened as college football betters and the general betting public have transitioned over to college basketball? They don't have a lot of great knowledge about these basketball teams, so they're betting on the traditional teams, and they're betting. They love offense. And when you got the guy, Trey Young, that's getting all the love from all the national media, They've gone now two and five against the spread their last seven games and have really struggled specifically on the road. So I think a, a big intensive rivalry game, Oklahoma inflated because of Trey Young, like the Longhorns. Now, last week, and one of the things we're going to do with our basketball dream preview is we are going to have topics that we update and continue week to week. One of them, the freshman wall. We talked about the Oklahoma diaper dandy. What have you seen in the last week? 
well, they lost their game outright against Alabama, got outplayed in that game. He did have a good game against Kansas where he changed entirely, and we're talking Trey Young here, changed his entire, you know, here's a guy that was shooting like 25, 30 shots a game. Then against Kansas, all of a sudden, he only has nine shots but still has 26 points, so the efficiency level was off the charts for him. But here's where I worry about him, and specifically this game. Texas gets up in your face, gets in pressure, hits full-court press, and Trey Young handles the ball constantly. So this is a bad matchup for him specifically. Okay, but thinking about him as a player, it, do you feel like he is flattened out? Is he trending down because of the freshman wall? Is he somehow uh, marshalling strength and trending up? I mean, what what's his trend line? He's flat. Flat. Yeah, and well, he's inconsistent. I mean, one game he's hitting 48 points. The next game, I mean, he's got 26. Uh, the other Was game he this inconsistent early in the year? Not as much inconsistent. But was it just about level of competition? Is it about fatigue? I think some of it's level of competition, some of it's fatigue, specific matchups. I, I would say I'm not in the full buy and I'm not in the full sell. That's why I think it, it's game by game specific with him. And this is a game where I look to fade him. The second Saturday matchup. Michigan State at Indiana. Uh, two blue bloods of the sport. Indiana's not having a, a great season this year, but I think this gets a lot of national attention because of the Michigan State story. And why I'm going to lean with Indiana is not just Michigan State dealing with the distractions. They haven't dealt with them greatly. They haven't covered their last couple of games since the story broke. But Indiana plays the level of their competition, and specifically against Duke, against Notre Dame when Notre Dame was fully healthy and a top 10 team in the country. And even this week against Purdue in their game at Sunday, I mean, they give an elite A-level type of performance. That'll be the case here. It's a nationally televised game. Uh, You'll have all the cameras there. Michigan State distracted, laying a healthy number. I'm going to lean with Indiana. And where do you expect the number to be? Uh, it's going to be around eight or nine. But I will say this, RJ, that Michigan State's playing on Wednesday. We're taping this on Tuesday. And I'm starting to see maybe the distractions getting priced in the line. My power ranks for their game are coming up against Penn State have it at like Michigan State 15 or 16. Right now, as we're taping this, the line's 13. That's the first time my power ratings have had a difference in the negative for Michigan State all season. And those that listen to Straight out of Vegas... There's a show on Friday night and Saturday night that you should check out called Straight Out of Vegas. Thank you, Mr. Gottlieb. That's correct. <laughs> Friday night, 11 to midnight Pacific. Saturday night, we need an extra hour, 10 to midnight Pacific. And I think it's something where you, and, and by the way, obviously, if you're on the East Coast, that's late. We put the podcast out the next morning through my Twitter. His Twitter handle is at RJ in Vegas. Thank you, Stephen. I is. I love it. <laughs> we got the trifecta going. <laughs> is you mentioned you felt like that the distractions would affect Michigan State on the college basketball side, and you're saying pretty much immediately the market agreed. Yeah, I think that the market didn't originally in their first two games, but what they did see on national television on Sunday while they won and the game closed in the final, they did see Michigan State down 13 points at halftime to a relatively average Maryland team. They rallied and won by six in the second half, but they saw that, saw them struggling, and I think the market is starting to price that in. And it shows you, I think, how tough it is to beat sports batting. And one of the things at pregame.com we pride ourselves on is we never say it's easy. We say that with our expertise, we can help you win more if you're going to profit or not well that takes a lot of work and why is it so hard 
because you not only have to be correct, you have to be contrarian. So Saturday, uh, you know, Brad's talking about it in front of the world and lo and behold is he's right. Oh, Brad, congratulations. You should buy yourself a big TV with your winnings, but no, cause others saw it too. So if you're right and with the masses, well, it's kind of nice to be right, but you don't win money that way. And if you're wrong and contrarian, well, you lose money that way. So you have to be right and you have to be different. And that's difficult. So on the game though, right? Tough game, tough game. <laughs> All right. Anything else on that game? No, until the line. And again, I'm projecting the line in Michigan state being about eight or nine point f- favorite in that one. Now we've got a bonus futures pick from Dave Esler. Long shot futures pick on, on Tennessee. Tennessee. You know, they're still at five, you know, 40 to 50 to one, depending on where you shop. Uh, and, and Tennessee's a team that, that beat Purdue and almost beat Villanova. So I, I don't know how you can, you can, you can discount them. Uh, you know, uh, Barnes is not my favorite coach, but even going forward, uh, Tennessee should be favored in every single game, probably about a pick them at Kentucky. But if they finish the season, you know, 20, 24 and six or something like that, you're looking at a, you're looking at a pretty solid three seed, especially if they do well in the SEC tournament. And to get a team that deep at, at 40 or 50 to one, I think that that's a viable, a viable potential hedge bet uh, if they get into the third or fourth round, especially. And we've talked about this in the past. Hedging in general, I think people do it too much. But if you can find a team that's going to have a good seed or at least has a good chance at a good seed and then win a couple of games and then start hedging, you can earn and and really, I think, produce a good profit off of predicting them to get to that third or fourth round as opposed to winning it all. Because teams can be... I think a good probability to win a couple of games while a real long shot to win the title and understanding the difference, I think, and the way you can hedge when there is a difference is a real opportunity. Why do you think the market is undervalued to me? Typically, if a team has a really good record, that's drives the pricing a lot. And oftentimes a team with a good record actually ends up being overrated. This is a team with a good record that you think is underrated. What do you think it is about this team the public doesn't like? Uh, the public doesn't like that they're Tennessee, and historically they're just, they just get to the altar and, and never get over it. Uh, and, and I will buy into that theory at, at some point in time, uh, but not yet. I mean, yes, they've lost five games, but they lost to Villanova by a few. They lost to North Carolina by a few, lost at Arkansas, Lost at Auburn. Everybody loses to Auburn. They got a marginal loss uh, at Missouri. You know, if you're going to have a team that's a projected three seed, um, there's value there, and and that's the only way to be playing futures. I think now, you know, people are people are starting to look at who's going to win the whole thing, and you know, Purdue this and Michigan State that. That's Dave Esler, and he thinks Tennessee offers some value as a future bet. I do think it's important to stress. Every time you bet a future, it's not that you think they can easily win it, but if it's a long, big enough long shot, you can start earning. We saw, Brad, you do that, I think, very effectively, obviously. Uh, Well, not very, but let's say somewhat effectively with Wisconsin and college basketball, whereas your pick was great, right? But, you know, unfortunately, they lost that first game. And uh, when you started hedging out against 
Ohio State, but you got him what at eighty to one? Eighty one. Yeah, you get a team like that at eighty one, you can start earning. If you're really betting that they're gonna be in a position, you know, they're gonna make the, it's almost like a proxy bet in that Wisconsin case that they were gonna make the Big Ten championship game undefeated, right? You were betting that, and then you could earn from there. Um, two questions. Do you generally do you like to play that way? Big long shots and then looking to hedge at a certain point during the six-game run to the title, do you like playing big, long shots and look to earn? And number two, specifically, your thoughts on Tennessee? Yeah, I do. Uh, I As far as college basketball, outside of, you know, I made a couple, Purdue and Virginia, were totally mispriced just a few weeks ago. But I'm going to mainly, for the most part, wait until we get into mid-February and March because that's when these teams start to have that extra gear. And a lot of times, teams are mispriced heading into their conference tournament and that's when we see the futures markets offering some value there. But let's talk Tennessee. And I think Dave's on to something. I do think they're underrated for a couple of reasons. Number one, if you look at strength of schedule, number one in the country. They have played the toughest schedule out of all 351 teams in the country. They have a top 10 defense. And they're still getting overlooked because Tennessee, yes, they're a surprise team this year with Rick Barnes. But the biggest surprise team maybe in the country, Ohio State, and a team in their own conference, Auburn, a team that was supposed to blow up this year with the FBI investigations, getting a lot more love in the national media than Tennessee. And right now, as far as teams in the SEC getting publicity in the recent weeks, Kentucky, because of their big win against West Virginia, Tennessee is going to continue to fly under the radar. A Tennessee team that dominated Kentucky in their first meeting earlier this year. You know, Dave, I mean, uh, he's a guy that's written so much more then he does rich media like podcasts or videos. By the way, Brad and Fezzik doing videos for the Super Bowl. Just go to YouTube, search pregame TV or go to pregame.com. Check those out. Um, the, the thing about Dave is it, it, he's always, he's like those poker players that like, no matter what you ask him, he says, well, it depends. So you really got to dig in there because he's seeing all the complexity. And in a weird way, being good at things like podcasts is about winnowing, uh, drilling through all that complexity and coming out with those very clear nuggets that you can say with a deep voice and pound your fist. And I asked him, well, why is Tennessee being undervalued by the market when their record's good, which usually is a driver? I didn't really, his answer, I didn't resonate. Well, the history of the program, is that it? Or do you see something else? Uh, Maybe some of it. They're not the name brand like Kentucky, and uh, they're not getting the respect because they had, I think they were picked 11th out of the 14 teams in the SEC. So but if, not- if anything, far exceeding your expectations creates a narrative. Ohio State had that, right? Uh, I know they had a, a, a loss last week, but there, I mean, the sense was we were, ta- we talked about them right here on this pod because they were supposed to be 11th in the Big Ten. So if anything, if you're supposed to not be good, and you end up being very good record-wise, doesn't that make the public pay more attention? They do, but I think specifically with Tennessee, they're still getting overlooked because the bigger surprise team is in their very own conference, Auburn, a team that's got a a better record than them, and also Kentucky, a team that's the blue blood that just had the biggest win of the year. So the record in the 100-yard dash is 10 seconds, I guess 100 meters, and, oh, someone runs a 9.98 world record, but they got second because someone ran a 9.96. That's very much the case with Auburn and Tennessee this year. We keep digging. We get some answers. Keep, you know, just more and more and more. Cannonball it.
And then one more, he's right on top of Cannonball. Cannonball coming. Cannonball coming. I love when he goes, and one of these right on top. <laughs> Bill Murray. Okay. We are going to talk Wednesday, free picks, two of them, one from Dave, one from Brad. But first, a little bonus, and we're going to keep this like two, three minutes. Brad, we specialize. We specialize. And Brad is a college specialist, but he handicaps the NFL, you know, probably in the 98th percentile there. So give us one or two, like, hey, people aren't considering this enough. Maybe it's a prop bet. Maybe it's just a game handicap. Go. Well, I don't think it gets enough publicity. It should be one of the, the top five, the 10 stats in the Super Bowl. Seven Super Bowls for New England. Zero points combined scored in the first quarter. So to me, that affects a lot of the prop playing. I would much prefer to play, you know, maybe under in the first quarter as far as the total game. Under in the first half. You know, taking uh, New England as far as scoring less in the first half. They get there as far as the, the full game goes. But very conservative game plan. Scoring plans. less in the first half. So you mean play Philadelphia in the first half yes, against New England. <laughs> absolutely. Look to play Philadelphia first half, New England uh, for the full game. And I'll say this, I think the value's becoming more and more prominent on New England. I mean, just looking at it, Philadelphia, two home playoff games, catching three points against Minnesota, catching three points against Atlanta. So in all intents and pur purposes, three points of home field, they would have been a six-point underdog to Atlanta and Minnesota on a neutral field. And yes, they exceeded expectations, far exceeded expectations in the Minnesota game. But you mean to tell me that Minnesota and Atlanta on a neutral field are two points better than New England? I don't think so. I'll be looking to bet the Pats as the line continues to come down. So Brad's on to some stuff. We're going to uh, really, these are topics. If anything, that was an unplanned good tease. So I agree the New England 0.7 Super Bowl's first quarter is a huge factor. The question becomes, is that, is that fluky? Is that just a matter of a small sample size? Is it by design, as in Belichick being extra conservative early because he knows you can lose a Super Bowl early, but you can't win one? It, even if it is by design, does it continue? And even more importantly, how do you get at that? If you believe, if you believe that New England is going to have a low-scoring first quarter, how do you get at that? I don't think the first quarter unders the answer because it's nine and a half. Now it seems high, but really it's saying two scores, right? Yep. Because, you know, it's hard to score eight or nine points. I guess in theory, you could have three field goals. That's going to be tough. So I think there's other ways to get at it. Um, the, by the way, I spoke about these topics and, and gave a few props of my own on Adam Carolla's podcast, his main podcast. I've done every week during the football season. You can check that out um, at adamcrolla.com or the different ways you get Adam Carolla. Obviously, it's the most downloaded podcast in the world. Uh, I mean, the dream preview had a hell of a year, but no, no <laughs> haven't taken Adam down yet. No doubt. And by the way, speaking of the podcast, we got a lot of stuff coming up in obviously that NFL extravaganza, the better Steve Fezzik, the bookmaker, Maddie Holt. And we actually have a little bonus. Colin Cowherd, we taped an exclusive Colin's three favorite prop bets only at pregame.com. And we're going to have that in the podcast, the NFL Dream Preview tomorrow. And we'll have the pros break down his three props exclusively. And by the way, with all the podcasts, 
whatever your favorite player is, simply search for RJ Bell and you can subscribe for free and you get those podcasts immediately. Now we're going to do our Saturday or our Wednesday best bets. All right, we're back and it's best bedtime. Oh, we got back to back songs. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Fire up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. I mean, nothing's going to stop Blossom as, <laughs> as long as I'm in the captain's chair. Wednesday, best bet. And by the way, guys, if you are listening past Wednesday, we're going to always do a Wednesday best bet. So try to listen before the games on Wednesday. Another reason to subscribe. We release very early Wednesday morning, um, but there's nothing else but these Wednesday games. If you want to drop off, go. Game number seven, 52. We're going to the SEC. We're going to take South Carolina minus three and a half at home over and overrated Mississippi State team. Why is Mississippi State overrated? Well, Dave Esler mentioned it in last week's podcast because they played one of the weakest non-conference strength of schedules in the entire country. In fact, number 345 out of 351 teams. So what happened? They benefited from that soft non-conference schedule. Started the season 13-1. and Now that they've gotten into conference play, this is a team that's 2-5 and straight up and against the spread. But one of those impressive wins was in their very last game. And I think here's some recency bias and why there's some value. Mississippi State in that game shot 55% from the field. Third best performance of them in their entire season. Don't look for that to repeat itself here against a top 25 South Carolina defense. And on the flip side, South Carolina in their last game over the weekend shot five out of 26 from three point range. Their second worst performance of the entire season. Look for that to improve against a relatively average Mississippi State defense like the Gamecocks minus the points. And that number again, as of Tuesday night, minus three and a half. Okay, now we've got Esler's Wednesday free pick, and we're, then right after we'll get Brad's thought on that. Free pick on uh, Providence. They are uh, on the uptick right now. They've just gone ahead and beaten Xavier, Butler, and Creighton. They got drilled at Villanova, which is uh, probably one of the reasons we can catch six and a half or seven points with them at Seton Hall tomorrow. Uh, Seton Hall uh, has this game. They just come back from the road Saturday playing at DePaul. After this game, they're going to turn it and play Villanova. If Seton Hall doesn't get to the free throw line, uh, they tend to play uh, closer games than they should or even lose. They've they've lost three of their last five, and they don't shoot free throws well. And Providence isn't a team uh, that tends to put people on the line an awful lot. So I, I think it's a great situation for Providence to go ahead and uh, either steal a winner or at least stay within two and a half possessions. Thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I think that the best point of that is Providence, a team that was a buy team for a lot of us, and I'll give – so, some credit to Fez, who won with a game of the month here recently with Providence. A lot of value with that. That was all stopped with a 20-point loss against Villanova. But that means there's probably going to be on some value. I didn't downgrade them in my power ranks too much for losing to the number one team in the country, Villanova, by 20. Look ahead for Seton Hall playing Villanova on deck. Value on Providence. Agree with the pick. All right, guys. Good stuff. We'll be back next week with the basketball, adding Fez in the NBA. And it's Super Bowl time, baby. If there's a time to follow me, because I do tend to shine during the Super Bowl week at RJ in Vegas. Talk to you there. 
Thanks for listening to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday. NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit PodcastOne.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for RJ? You can contact him directly on Twitter at RJ in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week. Many of you listening to this are in your car right now. But do you love your car? If not, we want to help. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And we host the Everyday Driver Car Debate Podcast. We help listeners just like you find cars that are fun to drive and still fit their budgets and their needs. Along the way, we discuss car news, we tell stories from filming cars for our TV and web shows, and we also answer audience questions from you. So join us every Tuesday and Friday for the Everyday Driver Car Debate.